Welcome into No Pun Intended, presented by Club Fantasy. This is the first show of the 2020 offseason. Super Bowl 54, Kansas City Chiefs are your champions, 31-20 over the 49ers. We are covering that, some offseason awards, and why the all-award shows are now at this point just absolute jokes. And kind of previewing what we're looking at towards next season in terms of which offenses we believe are going to bounce back in terms of fantasy points in 2020. And joining me, as always, Joshua Hudson. Josh, how are you? I'm great. I was very happy to see Andy Reid, head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, finally get a Super Bowl win, uh, seeing as how he was the head coach of the my team, the Philadelphia Eagles, for 14 years. Um, really great to see him finally get over the hump and, and get that win and just seeing the reaction on social media from some of his former players, you can tell how beloved he is as a head coach. Is Andy and Reid really... is Andy Reid a good coach? Yes. Yeah, he's an. I mean, he's an absolutely fantastic offensive mind. I mean, you, you know, you can you can look at all the blunders he's had as, as a decision maker and and a um, you know when to go for it and when to call timeouts and some of the things like that. But you know, nobody's ever going to be a hundred percent perfect in those aspects. Like I'm, and I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Even some of the greatest coaches have had some pretty bad gaffes. Um, it's just when you do them so infrequently, they're not as looked at, right? So you know, up until this point, Andy Reid was basically Marty Schottenheimer 2.0. You know, he was a guy that's won a, a ton of games throughout uh, their careers in the NFL, but never able to get over that hump. And of course, it's funny I mentioned that because Schottenheimer once coached the. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, you know, they had a couple uh, strings of 13 win seasons back in the 90s when Schottenheimer was the coach and they got bounced, you know, in the divisional round each year. So um, it's good to see Reed finally get them over the hump and Kansas City, who hasn't won in, what, 50 years since Super Bowl four. Yep. Good for them. One thing I actually didn't know when I found interesting, I attended the game and they showed this graphic on the Jumbotron that he was 14 and 14 in playoff games before the Super Bowl, so obviously he's now 15 and 14. But I didn't know going into that he was a 500 coach in the playoffs, which... Well, and I mean, and, and you stop and think about it. I mean, he, there was very, I think only three, three years, maybe four, when he was the coach of the Eagles where he missed the playoffs. I mean, he took us to five NFC Championship games. So, I mean, he's got some wins on his radar, but, you know, at the same token... You know, he hasn't won the big one. So every year he's made the playoffs, he's lost, which there's your 14 losses. I just, I didn't realize he had actually made the playoffs that many times. Because mm -hmm. you, you have to make the playoffs, in order to lose in the playoffs 14 times, you have to make it a minimum of 14 times. Math with Joe. So looking at that, he has made the playoffs. <laughs> he's, so he's made the playoffs now at this point 15 times. And has won the Super Bowl once. That's I didn't I didn't think he had made it that many times. That's that was just a stat that kind of blew my mind. Uh, yep. Those that didn't know, well, I, and it goes to show like people don't realize how good the Eagles were when he was the head coach. Like people really forget about it because they never won the big one. Yeah, like they were a very consistent playoff team, playoff caliber football team. You know, for those 14 years that he was there. It's just like, like you said, his his blunders, the biggest one is clock management. And it showed. It showed on Sunday. 
It showed a couple of oh, times. Oh, yeah. It, it was one of those, like, he had a couple mishaps. Just Kyle Shanahan had a few more. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan had the entire game, actually, was an entire mishap. So, oh, God, I, I bet everyone can't wait for this. So, everyone knows I'm a Patriots fan. And I had bet San Francisco in the game to win by four points because I thought in my heart of hearts that defense wins championships. And, in fact... It did. I mean, it is part of our motto, right? Yes. Like, defense wins championships. So. Offense wins fantasy. And, in fact, yep. it did up until it all ended with nine minutes and 52 seconds left on the clock in the fourth quarter on second and nine when Kyle Shanahan called a pass play. Why, why would you do that? Do you remember what happened the last time you were up I don't know. What was it? Oh, right. 25 points and continued to throw the football. Well, you blew the biggest lead in Super Bowl history and then became a statistic known as 28 to 3 in the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. But I think what Shanahan wanted to do here again was to now be one and two with the first and second biggest blown leads in Super Bowl history. So he called a pass play. All right, they end up turning it over on downs, and Casey goes down, scores. At that point, the game is now 22-17. So, four minutes later from that 9.52 point, he calls another pass play on second and five. Guess how they got the original first down and yardage? On a 17-yard run. run by Raheem Mostert. What did they get? What did they run, call on first down? Hmm, a run. That got them five yards. Now, riddle me this. If you run five yards on every play, you get a first down on every other play, right? That's that's just simple math. So why wouldn't you run it again? Instead, he calls another pass play. Guess what happens? Incomplete. Joe Staley, false start. They have to throw it again because it's third and 10. Now they have to punt. So from, from that point, from that point, Mahomes then, they have him in third and 15, and he underthrows Tyreek Hill by, I, I mean, a mile, but no one was around Tyreek Hill, so it didn't even matter. From that point, game shifted. It was it was over. Game over at that point. Uh, Damian Williams, five-yard touchdown catch, and then he ices the game. But I want to go back, because speaking of terrible clock management, I want to go back to third and 14 with a minute 53 left in the first half. Now, Josh, I don't... We didn't have a dog in the fight. Obviously, you wanted the Chiefs because Andy Reid. But in reality, neither of us really had a dog in the fight. And you were obviously watching the game. You were tweeting live, Club Fantasy FFL on Twitter. Third and 14, a minute 53 left. Mahomes checks it down to Damian Williams. One-yard play. Fourth down Chiefs with about a minute 50 left on the clock. You have three timeouts as the San Francisco 49ers. What would you do in that situation, Josh? Probably call a timeout. You'd call a timeout, right? Just any, Make any, sure you have the right defense in play for the whatever they're trying to scheme. Anyone with an effing brain would call a timeout. Any, Literally, anyone. You could put a monkey in a diaper out there, and he would call a timeout. But instead, no. No, Kyle Shanahan lets the clock run down 40 seconds until, obviously, the play clock runs out and Kansas City has to punt. You have three timeouts, and you didn't, lose, didn't use a single one until 14 seconds left in the first half 
Oh, and it was also after Kansas City called their first timeout. So there's the blunder, right? I said whoever lost this game, 60% of the blame goes to the coach. Why? Because they handled the last two minutes of the first half poorly on both sides. So San Francisco gets the ball roughly with about a minute left. San Francisco runs one play, which is a running play. There's about little under 50 seconds left. Andy Reid doesn't call a timeout. I'm sorry, you have an offense that could literally throw the ball 100 yards if they really wanted to, and you have three timeouts and didn't call a single one until after the second play was run with 19 seconds on the clock. What are you doing? And from that point, let's get this out there. The pass interference call on George Kittle was bull crap. That was awful. Josh, thoughts there. I mean... It was bad. Get out of here. In in regular motion, it looked way more blatant than when they slowed it down. Like, it, it looked like a legit push-off because, like, you saw the defender actually, like, kind of jilt backwards, and you saw Kittle's arms fully extended. But when they slowed it down, it didn't look near as bad at all. So... I mean, that, that's a play. It's one of those things where it's a play that, yes, technically, if you're looking and going by the rule book, it is pass interference. But it's not something that is called consistently. So I understand why people were upset that it wasn't or that it was called. Or excuse me. They were awesome. upset that it was called. Yeah. But it again, it's pass interference. He had his arms extended to separate from the defender. I mean... So so what I said yeah. in the stadium was because I saw the flag thrown and everyone around me is like, oh boy, I was mostly surrounded by Chiefs fans. It was about 70-30 split in favor of Kansas City in that stadium. And I was sitting next to a lot of Chiefs fans. They were like, oh God, they saw the flag. And they were like, what's the flag? I'm like, it is by far offensive pass interference because when I watched it, I knew in my head that the ref would call P.I. I didn't think it was P.I. I knew why they threw it. It was because Kittle when he went to reach for the football, did not bring his arms straight up. They were hand fighting, so his hands were out, and then he brought his hands in a 90-degree motion instead of a 180-degree motion, which is straight up, straight down. That is why they threw it. But I knew it wasn't pass interference because he didn't create space. It was hand fighting the whole way down the field. So if you're going to throw it, it should be Dual pass interference calls, defensive and offensive, they offset, you replay the down. But that wasn't the case. And it was, it was clear as day, not pass interference, in my opinion. And that was the prettiest ball that Jimmy Garoppolo threw all night. Not even close. That was that was the best ball anyone threw all night. Mahomes, yeah. Mahomes looked like crap, and we'll get to that in a second. Mahomes looked like crap, but that was a gorgeous football. Jimmy looked pretty solid in the first half, granted. Most yeah, of the first throws, half, he looked good. I mean, it just, they weren't. Outside of that deep. throw, they weren't throwing the ball downfield. And then everything just absolutely fell apart the second half. I mean, this was a stat that I grabbed uh, off of uh, Pro Football Focus from Eric Eager on, on uh, Twitter. Jimmy G was one of nine for 20 yards and two picks when pressured. And he didn't complete a single ball over 20 yards in the air. Like, that just goes to show you, they were dominating on the ground, yet they were putting the ball in Garoppolo's hands to win it, and he couldn't do it. It's funny, because it seemed like just a short three years ago, the Falcons 
were running the ball really well, and they stopped doing it. Now, I wonder why. Maybe because, I don't know, the offensive coordinator is now the head coach of San Francisco 49ers. But So I I say the P.I. before the end of the first half is complete. Oh, that was a game changer. It was like, but, well, and it was a game changer too. I mean, it really just it deflated. Oh San yeah, Francisco. But here's the thing, uh, to me, they deserve it because you did not call a timeout with a minute fifty left on the clock. That you, Kyle Shanahan, and your team deserve that because not one of your fifty-three players or however many assistant coaches you had didn't walk up to you and say. Yeah, maybe we should call a timeout. Or even one of your players just disobeyed you completely and said, yeah, I'm going to call a timeout anyway. So you deserve that because at that point, right? So that is, it was called with about six seconds left on the clock. That's when that play ended. So, I don't, again, you can't do this. But let's add, let's say, another minute to the clock. Roughly. Let's add another minute to the clock. That PI is called. You now have it second and whatever, but with a minute and six on the clock. How does that sound? Instead of six seconds on the clock. A lot better. A lot better. You have another opportunity. You have a chance. So, again, what I don't get is why didn't you call that timeout? And now, past that, terrible. Shanahan has cost his team 55 unanswered points in the second half of two Super Bowls. 55. Yeah, the, the, the one stat I saw was... Uh, over his last two Super Bowls, at one obviously as offensive coordinator with the Falcons, this one now is the head coach of the 49ers. He's been outscored just in the fourth quarter. Yeah, forty-six to nothing. Unbelievable. Fifty-five unanswered points, forty-six to nothing in the fourth quarter alone. He has been a part of the two biggest comebacks in Super Bowl history, but he's been on the wrong side of it. And the amazing thing that I saw was everyone remembers that graph of the percentage. Uh, are odds to win the game, which is the percentage chart I believe ESPN puts out. And Atlanta had a 99.6% chance to win that game when the fourth quarter started. When the fourth quarter started in Super Bowl 54, the 49ers had a 95.3% chance of winning that game. That's unbelievable. He blew another yeah. 95% plus opportunity to win a game. Like, legitimately. This is what I didn't understand. And, it, and it's kind of on the, the opposite side of the ball. The 49ers, over this season, they've played a lot more zone coverage than man coverage. Yes. And they were playing a lot of man coverage in this game, specifically in the second half. I don't understand, like, they're the Chiefs' top three guys on that offense all run sub 4440s between Hardman, Watkins, and Tyreek Hill. Throw Demarcus Robinson in the mix. He throw, runs like and, a 4 and, 5. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think he's even faster, but I mean, he didn't even have a target in this game. So. Yeah, he was nothing. But yeah. no, you're, you're 100% right. It was funny because on the. And, on the, you know, Sherman, even at, at his youngest ran barely a 4-7. That's why he excels in zone coverage, because he can use his brain and his eyes to read the football and then make jumps on 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 coverages. He can't run with these guys. I mean, Sammy Watkins made him look Stupid. terrible. Stupid. 
He made him actually look like a fifth-round pick that he was. Like, I I don't understand why they they just went away from playing zone coverage. They they got a ton of pressure on Patrick Mahomes throughout this entire game. That front four was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Buckner still. had a sack. Both I think had twelve total tackles. I mean, he was all over that football field. If San Francisco won this game, Nick Bosa would have been the MVP. I mean, he absolutely wrecked that Chiefs D or offense. Bosa had five tackles, one sack. So wrong. Jimmy Ward had ten. He had the most tackles combined in the entire game. But no, Bosa only had five. No, I was looking. Hang on. What yeah. I uh, regardless. Oh no, I was looking at something different. My bad. Regardless, the fr- the front four for the four. Twelve total pressures. That's what it was. Excuse me. I, I mean, he was in- he was in there the entire night, but. The thing was, my dad even looked at me and after the first drive, after Kansas City went three and out, he said, they were in man every play, which yep. he, he said before the game. I'm like, because he said, how do you think they're going to cover them? And I'm like, I think they just play high-low on Tyreek Hill and put Sherman on Kelsey. He's like, yeah, but they normally play a lot of zone. I'm like, I understand, but I think they might switch it up. And what do they do? What do they do in the first drive? Oh, they switched they, it up. They had Sherman on. When Sherman covered Kelsey... Kelsey didn't do much. Yeah, because they can run. He can, can run stride, but stride for stride with and, Kelsey. And I, I and that's why I said I'm like, if Sherman ever lines up man to man on Kelsey, that's the defense. But the the issue is Richard Sherman doesn't travel. So if Tyreek Hill comes out to Richard Sherman's side in the call is man defense, Richard Sherman is now covering Tyreek Hill. You you can't have that unless nope. you have safety help over the top. Which, to me, every team that has played Kansas City, and I, I, I always bring up the Patriots comparison. The Patriots ran a high-low on Tyreek Hill, shut him down, and then what they do with Tyreek Hill is they normally put their best cover safety on Travis Kelsey. And Kelsey is going to beat your safety. He's just a good receiving tight end. But you give up what you'll get from Kelsey to limit the big play from Tyreek Hill. San Francisco did that at times. But when they got away from that, that's when they they started getting gouged or when they had Richard Sherman on a guy who was at least a half a second faster than him. That's when they started getting burned. And the thing is, looking at the quarterback for the Chiefs, your Super Bowl 54 MVP, the NFL wants him to be the next best thing so bad. I mean, he is. I don't disagree with he that. He is. I, I, I don't disagree with that. But you tell me, if if you saw a box score of two fumbles, two interceptions, in a quarterback rating of 78.1, is, is that MVP statistics? No, but really? you're looking at it in a vacuum. That's the difference. That's, now, now, look, I'm, okay. not, I'm not on board the Patrick Mahomes was the MVP of this game. I'm not like I I mean you can look look at the box score for a lot of these guys like for me every time I saw Chris Jones I felt like he was in the face of Jimmy Garoppolo like he just bulldozed his way through that line but then when you look at the box score and he was only credited with one total pressure that doesn't make much sense to me no but he had three pass deflections yeah and for me that was the guy that popped off at least through the first three quarters for the Chiefs and it really wasn't anybody else. But the difference was was that 
Mahomes was the guy that led the Chiefs from behind. Like Damian Williams had that thirty-yard run. Okay, it, it, that was the game. That was the the one that iced it, right? But if you don't have Patrick Mahomes back there and he hasn't already led them to where they are, Williams doesn't break that, and you and I both know that. Again, let let let's expand the vacuum past the the box score. How many good throws did he make? Oh God, like two, two, two to th- uh, yeah. give him three. It, they were, best. I mean, even the even the out pass to to Williams where he actually scored. I think it was like a one or two yard touchdown catch. Like that was thrown behind him. He had to adjust. Like that's why that call or the touchdown was a lot closer than it should have been because he couldn't hit that pass. He couldn't hit Williams, who was five yards away from him. He so his his first five pass attempts that were behind the line of scrimmage, he didn't complete a single one of them. Like the easiest throws in the playbook, he couldn't he couldn't make. And looking at quarterback rating, which is it's on a scale of 158.3 is a perfect quarterback rating. Since 2010, there are two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks with a lower QBR as a winning quarterback in the Super Bowl. They are Peyton Manning in Super Bowl 50, where the defense literally carried that team to a championship. And then Tom Brady in 53, where the defense literally carried that team to a championship. They were... 39 and 41 of age, respectively. Patrick Mahomes is 24, and his QBR was comparable to Manning and Tom Brady at 39 and 41. He did not even throw for 300 passing yards, which at minimum is the benchmark of a solid performance in the NFL. Minimum. At this point, it's probably around like 330 if you're going to consider yardage and stuff. He did have one rushing touchdown. And I'll admit that first rushing touchdown was very good. He played the defender extremely well. Again, he had two fumbles. Neither of them lost. But the one fumble he had, the first one he had, caused a fourth down, which obviously caused Andy Reid to make a decision. Luckily, it ended in a touchdown. But still, he fumbled backwards. Instead of a first down, it was now a fourth down. And let's be real here. The two interceptions were awful. The first one... Where he actually both they were targeting Tyreek Hill. The first one where Tyreek Hill ran a simple 15-yard stop route. I don't know what he was looking at, but there were four white jerseys surrounding Tyreek Hill. One yeah, of when them, you have interceptions that are that blatant, it makes terrible. me feel like that the quarterback was thinking the wide receiver was going to run one way, and the wide receiver thought the quarterback was, you know, the play was for a different call. Like oh, there was a miscommunication in the hot route or something like that. Oh no, Tyreek Hill was sitting in the zone. And Mahomes just threw it to him. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then, and then the other one, Terry Kill ran an in route, and Mahomes put it on his back heel, hit off Tyree Kill's hands, and then subsequently the safety caught it. And everyone's like, "Oh, but that's on Tyree Kill. You no, try catching that, he an, threw that behind. Yeah, him. you try catching an absolute on bullet on your back heel down low, and tell me it's not your quarterback's fault." Like, no, yeah, that's definitely the quarterback's fault. That Both of them were the quarterback's fault. It's not even close. That's what I'm saying. He didn't deserve MVP. I Personally, I had said before, like I had said, okay, if Kansas City wins this, and this was when they were down 20-10, to 10, Tyreek Hill is your MVP. And as much as I hated saying that, 
Tyreek Hill was your MVP. That's what I said. Then Damian Williams ices it, and I said Damian Williams is your MVP. And what I also said was I wouldn't be mad if Chris Jones is your MVP because he was extremely disruptive. I didn't know what his stat sheet was, but I knew he was extremely disruptive the entire night. And then to give it to Patrick Mahomes, to have him be, quote-unquote, the youngest ever Super Bowl MVP, to have his tweet of, I bet it would feel amazing to be the quarterback who says, I'm going to Disney World after winning the Super Bowl, hashtag QBs, from back in 2013 that conveniently surfaced immediately after the game. Conveniently. Also, he's the youngest player ever to win MVP and Super Bowl MVP. They want him, they want to make him the next best thing. He already is. You don't have to shove it down everyone's throat. Damian Williams will never do anything ever in his career besides have 10 playoff touchdowns. That's it. He's the he's the playoff guy. He can't do anything else unless he's wide open in space with five blockers who are 300 pounds heavier in front of him. Yeah, Damian I'm Williams. preparing myself for another year, uh, another offseason of fantasy football Twitter saying Damian Williams is a top 15 running back. He's going to suck. He's going to suck. Just know this. He's going to suck. Don't draft him in fantasy. He's going to blow. Damian Williams should have won MVP. Who was the person going from talk show to talk show? Not Patrick Mahomes. It was Damian Williams. Because Damian Williams was the best offensive player for the Kansas City Chiefs in that game. Yeah, he really was the best offensive player. He's the best offensive player for that team. That he, he, Mahomes should not be MVP. It is that simple. He should not have been MVP. And the only thing worse than Mahomes winning MVP as we shift into the end of season awards is how the hell does Ryan Tannehill win comeback player of the year? <laughs> So, I thought, hang on, hang on. I saw a tweet from Adam Rank. <laughs> it's just the dumbest he was talking thing. About, he was talking about how, um, t- or, uh, how Tannehill won Comeback Player of the Year over Jimmy Garoppolo. And he basically said, if this award proves anything, it proves that Adam Gase is worse than t- tearing your ACL. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's basically what this award is telling you. So... It, 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 oh, this infuriates me. You can't win comeback of the year when you when you just sucked last year. Like, you can't do that. He started less games in 2019 than he did in 2018. So what you're telling me is he started less games in 2019, but it's a comeback. How does that, yeah. how does that work? How does that work? That makes no sense. You know, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Where the I, honestly, is- a lot of the awards this year were very questionable. I mean, look, Lamar Jackson, you can make the case that was, you know, he was the MVP. I mean, he's the first Undone. quarterback ever to rush for over 1,000 yards, 36 passing touchdowns, he's the league. You can make a case for Christian McCaffrey, and I get it, because of the type of year that he had. But for me, that's your offensive player of the year. And then they turn around and give that to Michael Thomas, who, again, I'm not saying had a bad year. He was absolutely fantastic. But for me... The reason you give the award to Thomas over McCaffrey is simply because Thomas broke a record in the in the NFL record books, whereas McCaffrey only tied it. He became the third player ever to top a thousand rushing and receiving, whereas Thomas literally broke the single season receptions record. Like that's the only reason to me why you do that because he accounted for more uh, offense, if I'm not mistaken, than Thomas. 
I mean, granted, Thomas had a higher percentage of, you know, receiving yards. But, like, when you look at total offense, McCaffrey was head and shoulders above everybody. Not even close. So, Gilmore, yeah, you can make the case defensive player of the year. He was arguably the best defense. Um you know, shut down corner. He was fantastic. Who, who else? Like, if you had to, if you had to put someone over Gilmore, who would you have put? See, and that's the thing. I, I, there, there's other people to me that were good, like Nick Bosa. You can see just the effect that he had on that defense. I mean, granted, he's a rookie, so he's going to have plenty of time. But still, like that defense wasn't good last year. No. And you all. put him on that team, and suddenly they're in the Super Bowl. They're number one seed in the NFC. Now, I understand, again, this is regular season awards. They're not, um, you know, including the playoffs and all that other stuff. So, but again, best defense, he was the guy that shut everybody down. Like, I, I don't I don't argue with Gilmore at all. I, that, to me, him and Jackson were, you know, quite honestly, the ones that I would have voted for. What really got me, and going back to the offensive player of the year, McCaffrey was third in the voting for that award. Who was second? Lamar Jackson. See, oh God, you can't win MVP and then I... Yeah, I like, and this, I was talking with our buddy Chris about it. Like, he's like, you know, if, if all you're going to do is just give the MVP award to quarterbacks, then the offensive player of the year should be for everybody else. Kind of like in baseball, how very rarely do pitchers win the MVP. That's why they have their own award. The Cy Young. Kind of the yeah. same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the, the same way, in my opinion. I agree. Rookie of the year, I, Kyler Murray was not rookie of the year. I'm sorry. Absolutely not. Who was? Like, yeah, I, well, he won it, I understand, but he wasn't the rookie of the year. No, but who was, I mean, in your opinion? Um, Josh Jacobs had a great year. I think what killed him was that he missed a couple games late because of the shoulder injury. And then you look at um, A.J. Brown and Miles Sanders. Both of those guys did most of their damage towards the end of the year, like in the second half, obviously with A.J. Brown and Tannehill kind of coinciding. Miles Sanders, I mean, he was the focal point of that offense after everybody got hurt. <laughs> Kyler, Kyler Murray's a quarterback. I, I, again, I understand that, but he only won five games. Kyler Murray's a that, quarterback. That's not a rookie of the year for a quarterback. I'm sorry, he won five freaking games. Kyler Murray's that's a quarterback. It. He that's... didn't make the type of impact that you would have expected. I, now again, solid touchdown ratio. I think it was 24 total touchdowns. Passed for over 3,000 yards. He didn't run near as much as I thought he would. If he had run for more yards, then I would say, all right, fine, whatever. Give it to him. But it to me, he wasn't the offensive rookie of the year. I thought Jacobs had a better all-around year based on how they used him and what he brought to the table. I would have voted for Jacobs. Coach of the year, again, you give it to the guy with the best record. Like right, it's That always kind of feels like a cop-out, but when you're the head coach of a team that goes from 4-12 and to 13-3, and I think that's a better resume for Coach of the Year, in my opinion. I would have given it to Shanahan. Yeah. Yeah. What about Brian Flores? Uh, well, and, and and surprisingly, I didn't even think he got a vote. That's unbelievable to me. You, yeah. Like, you literally... I mean, this team was set up to go 0-16, and, and he squeezed five wins out of a really a talentless team. You had a team legitimately actively trying to tank. Yeah. Like, actively trying to tank. In of that. That's unbe- like, it's unbelievable. I think Miami set up great with him, honestly. Uh, and yeah, then, and they've got three first-round picks, too. Like, whew, yeah. this team's going to be really good in the next couple of years. And then defensive rookie of the year was Nick Bosa. But, uh, again, yeah, ba- that's back, easy. back to this comeback player of the year award, right? What the hell? Are we serious at this point? Ryan Tannehill came back 
from, and I steal this from a Dallas radio show, came back from quote-unquote sucking. That's what he came <laughs> back from. He came back yeah. from sucking. Like, that's that's it. That He he came back from being bad. That, that yeah, doesn't I mean, it, it feels like it, it feels like a career accomplishment in a way. Like, because, you know, he was a former top 10 overall pick. And really, you only saw flashes of it in Miami. And Gase did very little to help him flourish. And now he leaves Miami. He leaves Adam Gase. Starts half the year, or a little more than half the year, excuse me. And, you know, has the number one passer rating. So, again, it just kind of feels like that, oh, he finally reached his potential. So he's come back from seven years of sucking. It's just, it's, you, you can't you can't do that. How do you not give it? Okay, first off, I don't think Jimmy should have won it because I really don't think Jimmy was the reason his team was winning. But okay. No, it wasn't. But, but, but I mean, you know, his stats were respectable. Yeah, it, fair. Throw Jimmy in there, came back from a torn ACL. How about Dalvin Cook, who literally carried the Minnesota Vikings? That would have been my choice. That would have been my choice. Honesty, that would have been my choice with Dalvin Cook. It's like, are we really that stupid? Because I, Again, I, it's, this is a quarterback-driven league. But I, I know, but everyone that looked at this award, would say, even a casual NFL fan will look at that award and say, didn't he play last year? Or... Really, Ryan Tannehill? Because they would have seen, oh, Dalvin Cook came back from an ACL. Uh, how about even Darren Waller, who literally came back from the brink of almost what, like killing himself? How about yeah. that one? Throw, throw, hit, throw his hat in the ring. But no, Ryan Tannehill beats out two guys that tore their ACL and one guy that literally came back from alcoholism and drug addiction. And we've clearly seen how tough that is to come back from, a la Josh Gordon. I, again, hope everything's okay with him. But seriously, people, are are we? Do we do we just want the world to laugh at us? Right? Do yeah, we want Tannehill. The world to laugh at um, us? Yeah, Tannehill had I think one more vote over um, Garoppolo. He had sixteen, and Garoppolo had fifteen. Yeah, it's but ju- it's yeah, just, this is just yeah, it's pretty bad. It's like the people. I was trying to, I was trying to find out who had uh, how, like the other votes in the spectrum. Said only two other players uh, received more than five votes, and I think it was one Waller was Darren Waller. Waller got eight. No, uh, Travis Frederick, center for the Cowboys, got six. Okay, Frederick, also I, for those that don't know, l- came back from a life-threatening. Yeah, he missed all illness. last season. Yeah, yeah l- like yeah, Cook didn't even get a vote. Like I don't. That's crazy to me. Uh, you wanted well, see, and I would say, oh, maybe because he played a game or two last year. But then I realized you could start eleven games as long as you suck and then play well the next season, you'll win. Yeah. So let's see, who do we think? How about Derek Carr might be a uh, an opportunity for comeback player of the year? Who knows? Moving to, moving to Las Vegas, maybe he plays better. Jameis Winston, maybe maybe he won't throw thirty interceptions. Maybe it's only fifteen and he gets comeback player of the year. I mean, is this is the standard we're setting? This is yeah, the standard. The NFL is getting really out of hand with some of this stuff. This is ridiculous. But uh, focusing on the 49ers, and like you've mentioned a couple times, they started four and twelve, and are they ended four and twelve? Excuse me, in 2018. Obviously, we saw what they did this past season. Ended up in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of 
back in the 90s when or the late 90s when uh st louis rams had that big turnaround you know they went from worst to first the greatest show on turf was born and you know two of the next three super bowls they appeared in like it, it really the way that this team is set up again i i think jimmy garoppolo is is going to ultimately be the achilles heel of this team but they the way that defense is built they can and should contend for the next you know three four five years Agreed. And just because you brought up the Rams, who's better, Marshall Falk or Edger and James? Oh, Marshall Falk. Yeah, it's but don't get me point. wrong, man. I love Edger and James. Like he's a Miami boy, he's a Miami product. You know, went to school in Immokalee. I spent a lot of years in Fort Myers. Like I'm a huge Edger and James fan. Love Edger and James. Loved watching him play. But Marshall Falk was a special human being. I just wanted to bring but it up because I heard football player. Let me rephrase that. I, I heard someone arguing that Edger and James was better than Falk, and I'm like, mm. we are we really going there? Like, Edge like, was a very good receiver. He was at a point in time when teams still weren't valuing a running back's receiving ability. How about Marshall Falk? Well, no, I'm saying like, well, and and again, it goes to show you the Colts jettisoned Falk ultimately to draft James. But the way that the Rams utilized Falk was sort of the the beginning of this new era of running backs. You know, because Edge came out in the same draft that Ricky Williams was in. And Ricky wasn't a pass-catching back. So you still had teams that valued, you know, the 300 to 350 carry bruiser backs versus someone like James who may only rush, you know, 250, 280, but catch the ball 40, 50, 60 times. And that's what Edger and James was. So Falcon Edge really kind of ushered in that new era. Then you had guys like Priest Holmes that came in, Arian Foster, you know, those types of backs that could dominate as both a runner and a pass catcher. Yeah, and I, they, were, they were just arguing that James actually has comparable stats to Falk in terms of he actually has better stats than Falk in some areas. But they're like, why doesn't he get as much respect as Marshall He didn't Falk? have the touchdowns that Falk did. Well, forget that. He didn't play on a team called the Greatest Show on Turf. Yeah, that too. Like that. That. And it's like and he got there, and he got there really. I mean, he he played some years with Manning, but they didn't get to the Super Bowl until they moved on from Edge. Yeah, because that that was Joseph Adai's first year. Yeah, and the thing is, and you say like. Oh, well, didn't Falk play with Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, like Joel Famers, and Kirk Cousins? Yeah, James played with Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Dwight Clark, and Peyton Manning. Don't even argue that point with me. Like, he played, he had the same weapons around him as Falk did, and Falk was just more impactful. Like, it's, it's yeah. that simple. I, I, I don't know. When you, when you look at this Hall of Fame class, how many guys really deserve it? Right? Like... Does Edgerin James really deserve the Hall of Fame? Like, when you look back at his career, like, unbiased, when you look back at his career, does Edgerin James really deserve the Hall of Fame? I think so. Okay. But, I mean, but again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Edgerin James fan. I mean, when you just looking at his career as a Colt, like, only had, uh, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years in Indy, two of which. One, he was shortened by injury, and he still averaged over 100, 110 rushing yards per game in, in that year in uh, 20, 2001. And then the following year, he only had 989 yards with two touchdowns. But every year after that, it was 
1,200 plus yards. And then he went to Arizona, which, I mean, let's face it, they've been a disaster zone for running backs. His first two years in Arizona, he had over 1,100 yards in both those seasons. But again, he didn't have the, the touchdown totals that, you know, a lot of these other running backs had. He only had 11 receiving and then 80 total uh, rushing. You look at someone like Falk, he had higher numbers. But, I mean, just looking at all of these seasons receiving-wise, 62, 63, the two injury seasons, uh, 24, 61, back to 51, 51, 44. Uh, first year in Arizona was 38, 24, and that was you know the downside of his career. But he's doing all that with 369, 387 rushes, 277, 310, 334, 360, 337, 324. Like that's some serious durability for a running back. I mean, you can argue that he had a shorter career because he really only played, um, you know, 11 years technically. I would counter as 10. That last year in Seattle was, wasn't really much of anything. But, I mean, for, for a 10-year career, over 1,200 rushing yards on – I mean, he had over 3,000 rushes. He had over 400 receptions. He had another 3,300 yards receiving. That's a quality career from a running back. And there was a time – where when he was in the league, like you could make the argument that he was one of, if not the best running backs in the NFL. Uh, that's fair. It's and just... that's what I measure the Hall of Fame by. Like when I look at someone like Drew Brees, and, and this was the argument with like, why was, why was he left off of the NFL 100? Every year that he's played, there's always been better quarterbacks. He's never even been considered the top two at his position. That, that, and that's the point I'm getting at. Like, with Edron James, there were there was those arguments. There was the, yeah, he is that guy. So, yeah, and, you know, I yeah. He, to me, yes, he is a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. And that's fair. I just, you, you look at some of the names. All right, Steve Atwater, eh, I don't know. All right, year of, 16 he, he, year of he was known as a hitter. Like, that was his impact. He would knock your helmet off. And I, I love that. Again, yeah. 16th year of eligibility. Okay. Isaac Bruce has waited far too long. I know a lot of I people, agree. I know a lot of people disagree, but a lot of people don't remember when he retired, he was second in yardage behind yeah. Jerry Rice. Yep. I'm sorry. That's, and that's a the Hall thing. of Famer. He was good. He was good even before the greatest show on turn. Yeah. He played from 94 to 07 with the Rams. <laughs> like, he Excuse he me. even had some good games when he played on the 49ers in 08-09. Like, yep. this was a good res- I Way too long. He's been there six years, way too long. Yeah, he was very, very underrated as a, as a wide receiver. Steve Hutchinson, six. Oh, all, he's a standout guard. Standout guard. All Absolutely pro, belongs in the Hall of Fame. All pro six times. You don't even need to know anything past that. If you're an all pro six times, you don't even need to know anything past that. Uh, Edron James, we just talked about, and then Troy Polamalu. That's not an undoubted Hall of Famer. That's without a doubt. Second team All. And next year is going to be interesting. There, there's some first year guys next year. Obviously, Peyton Manning's in that class. Charles Woodson's in that class. The, I, there's a few guys that that should easily get in next year too. Well, there, there's two that are easily getting in. Yeah. Um, but going and Woodson in, did it at two positions: he corner did. and safety. He did. And Woodson being the last defensive player of the year for a position of cornerback, not just defensive back, cornerback. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, the last person to do it, was Charles Woodson in 09. 
Uh, quickly going over this, what under 500 team do we think has a chance to do what San Francisco did in 2020? I'll start. None of them. The 49ers went 4-12 and because they didn't have a respectable quarterback or any resemblance of a defense. That's it. And, I, well, and it goes to show you how much one player inserted on that team can make a difference. Yeah, that's it. That they they just they needed a pass rusher, and they needed a quarterback that defenses would respect. And I'm sorry, twenty seven and a half million makes me respect you a little more than six hundred k from Nick Mullins. Okay, yeah. if I had to pick a team, it's the Chargers because that's where Tom Brady's going. That's the only reason that the Chargers would. If Brady goes there, which they also, I think he is. They, they also suffered a lot of injuries. Uh, losing Derwin James was huge for that defense. It's I mean, the secondary absolutely fell apart this year. Like, when you look at the numbers from 2018 with that secondary versus 2019, like, it's not even close. Losing Derwin James hurt them tremendously. That's another reason why. I, I love Derwin James. Yeah. He was my IDP going into the season, obviously. But, I mean, Got even him. then, like, if Brady goes there, they still need to rebuild that offensive line. If they go out and get Tom Brady, I don't think the Chargers are using the sixth pick to draft a quarterback, in which case that's another landing spot potentially for an offensive lineman. So, you know, what do they do with Melvin Gordon? I don't think you're bringing him back, obviously. No. Is, is is Austin Eckler a full-time guy? Can Justin Jackson be more of an early-down threat? I mean, there, there's still a lot of questions there, but they definitely have good weapons, and Hunter Henry's a free agent too, so – we know how much Brady likes tight ends if they do, in fact, decide to go after him and he chooses them. So that'll be that'll be interesting. And and the, the AFC West is wide open. I mean, my picks from the AFC West, I'm looking at the Raiders. I mean, they were 7-9. and nine. For a while, they actually were competing for a playoff spot. You know, I don't know that Derek Carr is the answer. I don't think John Gruden feels like he's the answer. I've heard Vegas, and yes, I, I actually love calling them the Las Vegas Raiders. I hate um, it. I, you know, there's been some buzz that, Gruden might make a run at Tom Brady. And honestly, if I'm looking at the Chargers and I'm looking at the Raiders, if I'm Tom Brady, the Raiders look more appealing to me. The only thing is they don't have a legit number one receiver. I don't think there's a legit number one receiver available in free agency because I, I, when I look at Robbie Anderson, I think he's probably one of the top guys. And I'm not counting A.J. Green because as far as I'm concerned, he's done. And somebody's going to give him some stupid contract and get burned. But they have the ability to draft a impactful rookie wide receiver at 12, whether that's Jerry Judy, whether it's CD lamb, someone like T Higgins, I, who knows, but they have the potential there. And if Brady builds trust with him quickly, they'll explode. He, they can get deep with Tyrell Williams. They have not one, but two really good tight ends in Darren Waller. We saw what he was able to do this year and Foster Moreau, who proved as a uh, viable red zone option. Those are guys that Brady can lean on. They have a top 10 offensive line already in front of them. Plus, Brady's former uh, left tackle in Trent Brown, he's there. So they have the ability to protect Brady and give him time. Plus, they have a, a, a young bell cow in Josh Jacobs, who they thought Tony Michelle would be. You put Jonathan Abram back on that defense, their former first-round pick from last year who was hurt, and they have enough draft capital and some money and free agency that they can rebuild that defense because their defense was really, really bad last year. So they, they'll they have the ability. And we know, like, Gruden works well with veterans. I mean, he had Brad Johnson in Tampa. Before that, Rich Gannon came over from Kansas City, you know, helped re rebuild his career in, in Oakland, taking them um, to a Super Bowl. So there's, there's upside in 
Brady with Gruden and Gruden kind of has that sort of like old school coach mentality that Belichick has that I think Brady can relate to more so than, you know, maybe one of these younger guys or sort of like players coach types that Brady might clash with because he's not used to it. I, I don't know. I think he ends up in Los Angeles just because I think the Chargers really need to sell tickets to that st- in that stadium. And well, I mean, they need to, but that's not necessarily going to be what appeals to Brady. Oh, no, a, 100%, but I think they might throw the farm at Brady and it might just be too good to say no. I, yeah. how I but at real- the end of the day, that's going to that's gonna prevent them potentially from bringing back Hunter Henry, giving him a, a contract that a t- an upper echelon tight end deserves. I, you know, I agree. It, there's a lot of, lot, a lot of issues with with the Chargers, in my opinion. I so. agree. I I think the, the how it goes in terms of odds. I think it's New England, and the Chargers and the Raiders are a coin flip. Everyone else after that is coming in third. It's one of or fourth technically. It's one <clears> of those three places. I really think he ends up back in New England, and that's just because. Yeah, and I, and I think they'll work it out. No, I, I agree, but it, uh, a lot of people bring up the point of he's 43 years old. Does he really want to go to a new place where he doesn't know any of the players or he doesn't he doesn't know the coaching system, he doesn't know the offensive playbook, like stuff like that. Like, does he really want to do that? And I kept thinking... Well, like, and I think what will really help is they'll have an entire offseason where he can actually work with Nikhil Harry. I agree. I, and I, that's going to be the big thing. If he can build the rapport and the trust with Nikhil Harry they'll have a legitimate outside weapon. What really hurt Harry this year, obviously him being hurt, and when he finally came back, that was essentially his preseason. And then at 23, who knows, maybe we'll take another receiver in the first round. Who knows? Potentially, yeah. How about James Prochet in the third round, says Joe. But who oh, man, knows? you really have a hard-on for that guy. I had a hard-on for Hunter Renfro last year, and he turned out pretty well <laughs> in his rookie season. So, All right, last thing we're going to do, we spent the last month recapping each individual position for fantasy uh, talking about the number of players that could explode and bounce back, but looking at teams in general, these are the bottom 10 offenses in terms of scoring offense going from 32 to 23. Redskins, Jets, Bengals, Bears, Broncos, Steelers, Jaguars, Dolphins, Raiders, and Bills. The one thing that sticks out on this list is the Bills were a playoff team. Shows you how good their defense was. Bottom yeah. 10 offenses in total yards. Again, 32 to 23, the Jets... Redskins, Steelers, Bears, Broncos, Dolphins, Bengals, Colts, Bills, and Giants. You see a lot of repeats on here. Um, In total, what offenses do you think will bounce back and produce a ton of fantasy points in 2020? Uh, Again, I'll start. It's painful to say, but I really think the Bengals, because at this point, Joe Burrow's a lock, I feel, to, to Cincinnati. My whole conspiracy theory for Carolina, I'm still floating out there. But I think he's a shoe-in for Cincinnati. That gives you Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, uh, John Ross, if he can stay healthy, Auden Tate. Um, who's their first-round pick that comes back as guard? Jonah Williams? Uh, the tackle, Jonah Williams. Jonah yeah. Williams. So they get a tackle as well. They're going to have a solid offense. And they'll have their the first pick in the second round as well. They could potentially add you know, an in- interior lineman, another tackle. Yep, exactly. You know, because so, that's that's got to be the issue. You have to protect these guys because that offense was or that offensive line was one of the worst in the NFL. So if you're going to bring in a rookie quarterback, you've got to protect them. And again, I we're not focusing defense. This is in terms of a team that will produce a bunch of fantasy points 
And when you look at it as well, a big reason that Dak Prescott played well in his rookie year was because defenses needed to respect Ezekiel Elliott. Even though he was only a rookie, he needed to respect Ezekiel Elliott. Defenses need to respect Joe Mixon. That's yep. a fact. They need to respect Joe Mixon. So, in essence, Burrow's probably going to be looking at a lot of seven, even eight-man fronts, which means there's not going to be a lot of dime or nickel packages when Mixon and Burrow are on the field at the same time, which means there's a lot of mismatches and a lot more open lanes because you have guys in coverage who don't tend to to be covering. So, and Burrow gets rid of the ball quickly. That's a strong suit for him. And two, I I, I don't know what Zach Taylor is going to do. I hope he gets his Their mind straight. Their offense looked better towards the In the, the second end of the half. Yeah, you want to know why? Because yeah, Joe Mixon they leaned the, on Mixon. Cuz Mixon yeah. touched the football 30 plus times. Yep. It's what, that's what we said. That's what we said the first 5 weeks of the season. Why is Joe Mixon not touching the football more? Why is Joe Mixon have 12 carries in a game? Look what happens when you give him 25. He goes for 152 touchdowns. Oh, and he can produce in the passing game. So maybe get rid of Giovanni Bernard and roll with this guy. Just saying. Josh, who? Uh, or bleh, what offense do you believe will bounce back, produce a ton of fantasy? Yeah, I think there's season? a couple. Uh, one of them actually wasn't on either one of these lists, and that's the uh, Carolina Panthers. Um, but, you know, bringing in a new head coach, bringing in a new offensive coordinator, new system to run. I think there's a lot of potential here because we've seen guys with college resumes that have come into the NFL and their offenses, in, at least in the first couple of years, they work and they produce fantasy players. I mean, just look at Chip Kelly. That offense was high octane in Oregon. First couple of years in Philly, it worked. I mean, Deshaun Jackson had over 1,300 yards. The following year, Macklin topped 1,000 yards. Uh, LaShawn McCoy had a great first year there. They brought in DeMarco Murray, who kind of struggled uh, the next year. But, you know, they, they produced talent there. You know, they brought in Zach Ertz. That's kind of the start of that tight ends working uh, for them there. Uh, excuse me, not them, because Selleck going all the way back. But Brent. I'm saying for Chip Kelly anyway. Um, but even Cliff Kingsbury last year in Arizona. I mean, there, there was – some question marks there. You know, the Cardinals were okay. They weren't great. But look at the fantasy impact Kenny Drake had in Arizona. You know, Fitzgerald was still relevant. Christian Kirk had very relevant games. Both those guys saw 20% target shares in their offense. There were t- there were, there were were weeks where Charles Clay was relevant as a fantasy tight end. Like, Can you pause really? there for one second? Because I just want to... Larry Fitzgerald's coming back for a 17th season. Is he out yeah. of his mind? Yeah, I would have retired. I but, mean, uh, he's really? having fun. I mean, he's having fun. I mean, he's surrounded by young guys. He thinks there's some potential, and maybe they can make a run next year. Who knows? Uh, good for him. He might break Jerry you know. Rice's uh, receiving yards record yeah, at this point. Potentially, if yeah. Going. If he keeps, yeah, if he keeps going. Uh, but look, we saw the big breakout from DJ Moore. We hyped up Curtis Samuel all off season, and he was top 12 in the NFL in air yards. And finished with less than 700 receiving yards, excuse me, not 600. But he had six touchdowns. So there's there's still a lot of untapped potential. He just needs a quarterback that can hit him deep because he has to slow down and allows the coverage to catch up to him. Ian Thomas, it, they've moved on from Greg Olson. 
They've already said it. Olsen's taken visits to other teams. Ian Thomas is now the guy there in Carolina at the tight end position, and we've seen him be a top five tight end in fantasy when Olsen was out. So, and even like looking at his his time without Olsen, uh, our friend Samuel Wallace from formerly DFF, now with Rotoviz, congratulations, Sam, um, put out this graphic that I found really interesting. The um, the projections of Ian Thomas's playing time without Greg Olsen. He was on pace for over 60 catches and almost 100 targets. So that shows you the type of impact that Ian Thomas can have on this type of offense. So you've got two standout wide receivers, a good tight end, and oh, by the way, some guy named Christian McCaffrey's in the backfield. So the biggest question really for the Panthers is who's going to be their quarterback? Are they going to bring Cam Newton back for one year? Are they going to move on from him, bring in a young guy? Can Will Greer be that guy? Because he looked terrible on his one start. But we've seen him – I mean, he threw a great, beautiful deep ball in college. Looked terrible doing it in week 17. But, again, it's week 17. Full uh, offseason in this offense. Maybe Greer can be that guy. Kyle Allen had some really big games, a lot of inconsistency. But they're missing a lot of pieces on defense, obviously with Luke Keekley retiring. The Panthers, I think, will be a very good candidate for the number one overall pick. So I'm saying this with a huge amount of caution because they have so much talent on offense – but, again, that defense needs a lot of work. And for me, the Giants, as much as I hate to say this, but Daniel Jones in stretches actually looked good. Good. He just he has problems with ball security. And it's not necessarily the interceptions. It's the fumbles. But it all counts. We know what they have on offense. Saquon Barkley, home run threat waiting to happen. Golden Tate's very reliable. You know what you're getting out of him. But there's some injury concerns with Evan Ingram. Sterling Shepard. They always seem to miss a ton of games, but when they are healthy, they produce. And Darius Slayton looked like a potential number one target. Those are three, four, five solid pass catchers that Daniel Jones has to work with. They should spend their offseason rebuilding that offensive line. It's always easy to say just because you insert guys that, oh, they're going to be better. Not necessarily the case because injuries tend to happen, but they have the potential. And again, another team where they're bringing in a new offense, a new system, so we'll see what happens. But again, I think there's a lot of potential there where they can take that next step. You know what's interesting is now Evan Ingram's position coach is Freddie Kitchens. <laughs> so does Evan Ingram take a step back? Who knows? Well, I mean, just remember, Freddie Kitchens used to be the running backs coach before he became the offensive coordinator, calling plays in Cleveland, and then you know became the head coach. Freddie Kitchens isn't a bad coach, okay? He was thrown into a terrible situation. No, no. He's a bad coach. He's just not a bad positional coach. That's the difference, is when he has to worry about one thing, then he's okay. When he has to worry about multiple things, that's when Freddie's little peanut brain doesn't really comprehend everything. That's when he struggles, is when he has to worry about offense, defense, uh, the GM relying on the entire team. When he just had to worry about, oh, let me get Baker Mayfield's head screwed on straight and call plays, he was fine. But when he had to handle both sides of the ball, that's when he broke down. He's a great positional guy. Yeah, but what does he have to worry about, what, two, three tight ends? That's it. He'll be fine. But he, he'll never get another head coaching job in the NFL. He won't because he can't do it. He can't 
handle both sides of the ball. And people are like, well, neither can Kyle Shanahan or Sean, or, uh, Sean McVay. Yeah, that's why McVay had Wade Phillips and Kyle Shanahan has Robert Robert Salah, I believe is his name. Salah. Yeah. Salah. They had guys who understand it. And also, they can handle both sides of the ball because they know how to command a room and gain respect from their players. Yeah, that really is the biggest thing. Freddie couldn't do that. And uh, you probably could have given Freddie uh, Salah or Wade Phillips. But the issue is, Freddie couldn't command a room. And that's the issue. Is the Browns gave their job to someone who couldn't command a room. And I hope Kevin Stefanski can do that. Because that was another really questionable signing from the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I didn't like that too much, but yeah, we'll see. We'll I mean, see. he was there. He was one of the finalists last year for the job, so it didn't shock me that they went to him, you know, one year later. But yeah, I, I just think that that whole organization, the Haslam's, they just they're micromanaging too much, and it's affecting how the product on the field and everything that comes with it. So it, it it's funny to say because you say that they care too much, and it's funny to say because Cleveland. <laughs> sucks so you think like oh they just they're here to make a make a paycheck from the media yeah, right that's what happens that i mean you can, there's one thing about being a fan of football which i think every owner is and then there's people that actually know and understand the game yep that's why owners hire you know vp of football operations that's why they hire team presidents that's why they hire gms and scouts etc because they know and understand the game these rich assholes, that's all they're doing is writing the checks. That's their job. That should be their job. They don't need to get their hands dirty with football operations. Why do you think the Cowboys haven't won in over 25 years? I, I was just about to say that. That's why owners aren't GMs, a la Jerry Jones. Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth. Josh, anything else before we wrap up? No. Uh, looking forward to our free agent preview starting next week. We'll you know go by positions, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. Uh, as signings happens or signings happen excuse me uh, obviously you know we'll cover them twitter facebook instagram um and hopefully looking to get some more guests on the show uh over the next couple months to as we go from the free agent previews into um rookies that are coming into the league and, and talking about you know their specific traits and you know what they do best and and uh hopefully i'm going to get out some uh, early season rankings here so that we can kind of talk about those during our free agent weeks. I'm extremely excited. Our four free agent weeks are going to take us right up to free agency. Uh, we'll obviously cover the draft combine in a couple weeks, uh, February 27th to March 3rd. Uh, that is obviously going to be a very, very fun week to see what new prospects are coming into the NFL. And obviously we're going to focus on a little bit of defense, but the primary are going to be quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Uh, the wide receiver class is probably going to be the big main focus this year because of the immense talent as well as the running back class. And obviously, whoever is going to be drafted after Joe Burrow, whether it be Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, uh, I mean, name me, name me a few other guys I can't really think of off the top of my head right now, but there's, there's plenty of them that are going to be in the conversation of who is going to be the next QB off the board and will the Miami Dolphins trade up to three to take Tua Tagovailoa? We'll see. We'll see. I still think Tua is going to be a bust. I think everyone outside of Joe Burrow is going to be a bust, and I'm still not convinced on Joe Burrow. So we'll see. We will see. 
Josh, anything else? No, that's it, man. All right. This has been No Pun Intended presented by Club Fantasy. You can follow Club Fantasy on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Club Fantasy FFL. The URL is clubfantasyffl.com. If you are listening on 97.3 in Miami Sunshine Jams, you can listen back to any of our shows, and anyone listening can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we're probably there. So listen back to any of the shows right through there. Always remember, defense wins championships and offense wins fantasy football. We will see you next week to preview the free agent quarterbacks.